Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because we're covering Groundhog Day. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Too early for flapjacks? Welcome back to another week of the Twinkie Cast. Hey, Calvin, how you doing today? Feels like I've always been here, living this endless cycle of geek casts. <laughs> You're not sick still, though, right? I'm still a little sick too, so no difference. Oh, you are stuck then. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got the lingering flu. And... All right, well, you sound at least a little better, so that's that's good. All right, well, let's do what we usually do and get into the box office here. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Holy shit. What's going on there? Is Alexa joining in our podcast now? Yeah. Alexa, subscribe to the Twin Geeks podcast on <laughs> iTunes. There we go. Now every one of you is a part of our cult. <laughs> you can keep that in the podcast. Absolutely. Let's, jo- uh, let's jump back into the box office. Okay, back again. Ten. Mary Poppins Returns. Still hanging in there. Feels like it's been here forever, too. Yeah, it, it has been here since the holidays, and uh, I'm excited to check it out. haven't got to it yet, but I'll get to it eventually. Yep, we've talked about it a lot, despite having not seen it, so we'll move on. Uh, number nine, we have Escape Room here. I've started hearing some word that they might uh, pursue a sequel on this. I think there's a lot of opportunity with Escape Rooms to uh, kind of re-innovate and come up with new ideas for different rooms and formats. Like, it's infinitely expandable. Yeah, as long as you can... I don't know, inject some kind of story or fun into it. It seems like it's got a, a cube-like premise to it, you know. Oh, Cube's great movie. You've seen that, right? Yes, I have. It's been a long time, though. I remember my dad showing me that one time. Huh. I gotta find it again to see it. Maybe for yeah. Halloween this year. Yeah, that would be a good one for us to do on a Halloween cast or something. Yeah, There's a lot in Cube. I like it philosophically, and it's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about this next entry, though, uh, without spoilers for now. Yeah, okay. because at number eight, we have what's been the talk of the town right now, which is Serenity, which is not oh, the Firefly man. movie, but... And I have seen it. You saw it. I read what the, you know, all the buzz is about it, so, uh, let's see. <laughs> How do we talk about this without... I could say that it does hint halfway through that something's going on, like, a, about two quarters of the way in, you have a pretty good idea of what the ending is about to be. Um, well, that's, that's what I've heard. Like, the big twist everyone's talking about is not a final act twist no. like you'd usually anticipate. It's like halfway through, it comes, and it kind of recontextualizes things. Like, I've heard <laughs> the movie's essentially, like, part noir-ish kind of throwback thriller, part, yeah. you know, gotta catch a big fish movie, part this twist thing that happens. Should we say a little bit about what it is? Yeah, I guess we could at least talk about the, the premise, quote-unquote. If if you don't want to know, just skip forward a couple minutes. But uh, Serenity is a neo-noir about Matthew McConaughey. He's out fishing, and he's given $10 million to take out this lady's husband. So, you know, you have your femme fatale, and you have a whole perfect noir set up there on the fishing boat. But then it has a virtual reality aspect where he's interfacing with the computer. Maybe some kid back at home is controlling him, and it goes back to his relationship with his son, um... And I don't want to give away the ending, but it goes some interesting places with the, their relationship in the game within the game. It seems like the movie is uh, effectively a good way of like kind of pulling the rug out from under the audience, which in today's day and age doesn't work quite as well since as soon as the movie comes out, you know, everyone knows about it. So, you know, unless you saw it like first opening weekend there, you know, you're going to eventually find out. I, I find that happens a lot. I mean, that happened with me with split for sure like i didn't actually yeah. care too much about split until i learned like that weekend i'm like oh okay yeah i want to oh, say maybe i do have to see this i want to say it's a huge bomb it's in here at four million dollars which isn't even covering like mcconaughey's half of the budget yeah right? well, that's, that's the thing is that even though it's in the top 10 it's only eight here it's not even the top five for a film that just hit <laughs> it's which not a... crazy to me because i'm pretty sure everyone who went to see it said you have to go see this to believe this thing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I think you should get it on video on demand. I think that's the right way forward with this. I, I don't think it demands your time in theater, but I do want everyone to go see it and kind of figure out what this is about on their own. Uh, had a budget of twenty five million, so there's no chance in hell it's making money. 
<laughs> Which is unfortunate, but I mean, I don't know, who yeah. knows, Ho- hopefully we'll, uh, you know, entice some interesting conversation still. It's been, it's been interesting to hear about, that's for sure. I guess it will be our last time talking about it, it'll probably slip out this next week, so... Uh, I, I do like Serenity, surprisingly. I was looking forward to it all last year, and it was originally slated for October release, which was surprising. Well, that's the thing. Is that's, a, you know, that's kind of also a testament to its quality that it ended up dumped in January, you know. Yeah, so. the, the January months, basically, where you know producers think, oh, we, we don't have a lot of hopes, so let's get this quiet season where no movies are released. We'll just drop something quietly there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it seems... Worth checking out, if only for the insane idea it's got going on. You I had know, a lot of fun been, with it. <laughs> I've been tempted to go, but I'm at the same time I'm like, ah, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta save my money. I guess yeah. I save my my movie trip since I only make so many. I don't, I don't think it's great. So I think if it ever comes on Netflix, I think it's a guaranteed must watch. But until then, maybe just hold off. All right, uh, we take a look. At what's next here? Number seven, we have A Dog's Way Home. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised that this is still in the box office, but I am. It's a lot less subversive than Serenity, I think. Yeah, uh, it's it's about exactly as what you'd expect from a talking dog movie. Uh, the same as the last one. It's a sequel to the one that just came out two years ago. It looks exactly the same. I don't. Right. I don't care. Without all the controversy that surrounded it in terms of uh, like, like bad ownership of the dogs or whatever was going on there i don't know do you remember that from a couple years back with the dog's purpose no oh yeah there was a huge there was huge controversy surrounding it where like there was some video released of how you know the trainer was like wrongfully you know using the dog in water or some way ended up turning out to be like a fake controversy because that's how you handle the dog or whatever it was i don't know right this is from several years ago about a movie i didn't give a shit about so the details are fuzzy but (laughs) Essentially, that was the thing. that That's what the biggest controversy around it was. Otherwise, I would have never heard about the film. Mm. But I don't know. People going to see this dog movie still. For more than reason. Serenity. Which is weird, I would think. Yeah, go see Serenity if, you, if you're choosing between this and the dog movie. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, I guess that's no weirder than the next pick, which here is the number six. That Green Book has landed back on the box office <laughs> and now it's a front runner for the oscars now that it won the producer's award and usually the producer award winner goes on to win the oscars so that's mm-hmm. that's a thing i find it so odd that of all the, the the oscar films back in you know theaters again green book is the one that cra- cracks the top 10 here i think that has to be why because it is it did win the producers and now it's the it is the pick for the oscars i mean I think we'd all like Roma or something to show up, but uh, that might not well, that's happen. The, that's the odd thing. When you have things like Roma and um, The Favorite as high Oscar contenders, since they left out so many other really good choices, Green Book seems like such an odd one to me to be kind of the, the you know the main pick here. Well, uh, I would have expected it more of a dark horse, if anything. I don't know how their preferential ballots work, but I assume that it allows a movie that's just okay to be chosen as like an oscar contender so if it's represented well and it's like everyone's third favorite movie and then you know everything else is you know mixed diverse then i think it might even pull through and i don't have any real problem with green book other than that it's racist (laughs) well that's kind of a big problem i would think (laughs) it is a it is a central problem that they didn't go and consult with the guy's family because they are out there they just weren't they just didn't know about them i guess which uh, they should have done some research yeah, that seems a little ignorant to do, you know, yeah. I mean, if it's based on someone who's, uh, you know, in this time still, or just in general, you should really do research on the film that you're making, you know, make sure you're getting all the facts right, you don't want to misrepresent. Yeah, for all the films that could have come back, um, why this one? I mean, we have The Favorite at 14, it had the biggest jump up, uh, go see The Favorite, that's still in your theaters, don't don't see Green Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we'll take a look here at number five. We have, in the same spot as last week, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We did a whole podcast on it a couple mm-hmm. weeks back. Uh, so, we won't spend more time talking about it, because we'll just get into a big fight again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about why it's the best one. Uh, no comment. Uh, number four, we have a new film in here. Uh, the Kid Who Would Be King. Do you know anything about this film, Calvin? Well, it's the new Joe Cornish film. Um, that guy who did Attack the Block, he has a lot of promise. I think it looks okay. I think these things, um, these things aren't really 
work out the way that they expect, like the old King Arthur stories. Uh, I think we're kind of over that. That's not really in vogue anymore. Yeah, we're kind of uh, passing on that. You know, we had just Legend of the Sword, I think it was called last year, the Guy Ritchie one. Was mm. that last year? I think, who cares? <laughs> recent. I mean, yeah, it was very recent, very forgettable, you know, and just in general, like, I mean, what was the last Arthurian legend story you actually were, you know, were excited about? Yeah, none of them. No, no. <laughs> Honestly. None, can't think of any. None. It's just... It's not something that clicks with us. I think it's a, you know, the Arthurian legend is a good basis for a lot of stories. You know, like you could trace them a lot of to that influence there. But I just don't think it makes a compelling narrative on its own anymore. You know, it's either too simple or too overdone or I don't know what it is. Go make something new. Yeah, let's uh, let's do something different. Yeah, like uh, number three. Aquaman. Uh, yeah, that's definitely not inspired by anything else. No. A uh, completely original take on a type of film that nobody makes anymore, a superhero film. Um, it is shot underwater. Uh, uh, well, it's not even shot underwater, right? It's just CG water. I was going to say, like, they didn't, they didn't actually shoot underwater because that's too practical. We don't make practical films anymore. Right. <laughs> Leave that for James Cameron. He's going to do that one day. I, I know. I hope so. I hope one of these next avatars is... I think that's a rumor about one of them. They're going to be a completely underwater or something. Can't he just, like, film the movie in space already? Like, I imagine that's his goal, is what he's working up to, is that he's going to film an entire movie in space. God, wouldn't that be cool, once we get to the point where we're just watching films actually shot in space? Yeah. It's, it's a dream. It'll one day happen. We can yeah. get our shit together and get back up there. I feel like that was the future we expected. Like, we were, we're in 2019, we're in the day of, like, a Blade Runner, and we thought these things would be happening, but... Instead, we just have, like, First Man. It's, like, a very human story about space. Like, all our films and art is showing, like, a... We're going more internal. Like, we're understanding the brain and we're understanding what humans are and stuff. But we're not really going external anymore. I think the problem with that is that there just hasn't been anything in quite some time to kind of stir up our interest in the unknown in space. And I think that's mostly because we're not exploring still. We're not pushing, you know... Like, we, we find out more stuff as we go along, I guess, with, like, Mars and stuff, like, yeah. learning about water on Mars, but, you know, people want to discover, like, new planets, and, you know, if we got a guy on Mars, I think people would lose their shit again. I mean, that would be pretty dope. Let's see how Space Force goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we hear, heard about that last? I don't know. <laughs> when it was announced. Yeah, I think that was the last thing. Anyway, uh, number two, we still have the upside here. Um, uh, I don't uh, really have any opinion on it. I'm not going to see it. Yeah, I don't have any interest. Kevin Hart's not a box office draw for me, you know. Uh, you know, I'm glad everyone else is enjoying him, but he's not a, an actor, if you ask me. He's <laughs> do you Kevin think, Hart. Do you think we're going to stop seeing so many Kevin Hart vehicles after this Oscar uh, drop? No, no, he's going to be around still. Everyone's forgotten about that already. Oh, you you think know, so? I bet you. Yeah, everyone, you know, was thinking about it like, oh yeah, that was a whole controversy thing for five minutes and then the oscars are just like let's not do any host anymore we all cheered because we just want less from them let's see what does he have here on the mdb he has the monopoly movie i, I love game night i love what? that what? they're making movie. a monopoly movie too the movie centers on a boy from the game's modest baltic avenue on a quest to make a fortune oh <laughs> okay. my god oh no this can't be so it could be like a he he already has like the jumanji thing maybe he's uh, maybe this is his genre, board games. I think I think this is a trend now because I know there's a remake of Clue in the works. Oh, is there? Supposed to be happening. There's going to be a Game to be. Night too for sure. I love Game Night. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh. That's not one of the ones I've gone hunted down yet. Oh. You know, I heard I heard good things about both it and I heard some people like Tag as well last year. I like I like Tag and it is uh, based on some guys from Spokane, by the way. Uh, some just some older guys in Spokane that just started playing Tag as a hobby. For, for those who don't know out there, Spokane is a part of Washington. It's on the east side, you know, the place we don't talk about, but that's our, that's kind of close to home. <laughs> it's basically Idaho. But... We'll, we'll take what we can get, but yeah. <laughs> um, 
So uh, let's keep going here, and we look at our last one. Number one is still Glass. Yeah. Um, you know, January didn't change around the box office much. We talked about Glass a lot last week. Uh, you know, we had our guest Tyler on with us talking about it. That was a great podcast. I recommend checking that out. Yeah. I, I don't know if we have any more thoughts about it. I haven't thought about the film too much since then. Like, maybe occasionally. Um, but most, mostly the bad moments stand out to me still. I think this is just how bad the box office is this week. It dropped about 50% and is still first place. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. We had two new movies hit the box office, and none of them really shook it up much. I mean, Aquaman's been in there since, like, early December, so that's a top three, if that tells you anything. Yeah, and it has been top three for weeks and weeks and weeks, and so it's just that people don't go to the movies in January. Yeah, and if they do, they go and see bullshit. Yeah, well, that's because the studios (laughs) put out bullshit in January. It's a... It's a, you know, a self-feeding cycle, you know. Go see Serenity, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. Serenity's really the only new thing of note here. Yeah. And even then, it's not inherently a good thing, according to reviews. Let's see, you what know, else? It's an interesting thing, though. We have BTS, World Tour, Love Yourself, and CL. You know, that that's is. another Korean pop band thing. That's the same one from last time. You remember when they broke the band? That's the same band, BTS. Um, Again, I'm I'm being informed by my Korean pop lo- band loving fiance. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the one that they made the movie about uh, a few months ago. It, it's 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 a stage. It's a it's a tour. It's a concert movie. It's called Beat Beat the Stage. BTS is the name of the band. What does it stand for? I don't know. Beat Beat the Stage or? Hey hey look, the Wizard of Oz is actually in here in the box office. I didn't even know they were doing this. Yeah, it made a million dollars, Fathom Events, eightieth anniversary. Eightieth anniversary. Cool. That's a cool thing. That's right. It's the eightieth year. Every movie from nineteen thirty nine turns eighty this year. My That's dad pretty cool. My dad was listening to one of our old podcasts. He must have heard that I didn't see Wizard of Oz because he kept tagging me in Wizard of Oz things. So <laughs> maybe they did show it. I didn't go see me. it this week. I know. <laughs> still still haven't seen it. Well, go ahead and fix that. It's a it's a classic. It's a you know revolutionized with color and everything. January is coming to a close here. Next time it'll be February. Maybe we'll have some more interesting stuff to talk about then. Yeah, I think I think there are interesting things coming this week, but they're like net Netflix things. Like we have Velvet Buzzsaw, and I'm going to premiere tonight, but that's like a month out. So, mm-hmm. well, that'll be interesting to talk about when it comes around. Um, you know, maybe in the future we figure out ways to incorporate netflix releases in here yeah box office too new things maybe like a netflix corner or something i don't know we'll figure it out we'll see yeah but in the meantime uh we'll move on to our uh selection for this week another festive treat since we're coming around you feeling cold calvin you need to get your booties on Hmm? yeah because we're talking about groundhog day I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. One of my favorite movies. Yes. Groundhog Day is an absolute treat. I always watch it every year, February 2nd. I won't this year because we watched it today instead. But, you know, it's an absolute delight. We just got done watching it like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, we just watched it together. And, and I I enjoy it just as much as always. I think it's one that I've seen so many times that it doesn't have a lot of surprises in store for me. Well, I mean, even on the first viewing, it won't have many surprises after a bit because the whole conceit is that we're repeating the same thing over and over yeah i guess it's only fitting that you know the movie doesn't ever get old despite how many times you watch it you know it goes I mean, quick too it, oh that's the thing that's something i noticed especially on this viewing is that it's a really really effective pacing in the film is that the the arc you know of it is really well plotted out and the changes are made that are they're very clear in phil's personality throughout it you know he has you know, each of these moments of trying to get through it. And you can see it very clear. 
Yeah. I think that's very well done. And what makes the film so easy to watch. And uh, we're covering it this time because, uh, what is it? Is it the 25th anniversary? No, I think it's probably like the 26th now. Like 25th okay. would have been last year because it came out in 93. Right. Okay. So, um, but there are a lot of uh, influenced products coming out. Uh, this week we have um, Russian Doll coming out on Netflix. Then the week after we have Happy Death Day to You coming to theaters. So there are a lot of uh, Groundhog Day stories this coming month. Yes, lately you've been talking to me a lot and saying that you're you're advocating to make Groundhog Day an official genre. <laughs> I had someone uh, snip at me on the internet. They're like, Groundhog Day is just like a, a plot development. It's not a genre, but I, I don't take it back. I think Groundhog Day can be a genre of film. I no, it totally to can it. be. I agree. We just need to do it more and do it more interesting. Today I brought up that I think we should count 50 first dates as well. Mm -hmm. It's like a reverse Groundhog Day. And we have what like 51st dates edge of tomorrow what are uh, i i count butterfly effect i don't know if others do actually i have a funny story i want to tell about edge of tomorrow that we're talking about here because edge of tomorrow came out in kind of this really interesting time where it was it was, flew real low under the radar my fiance caught it on tv with her dad one day and told me like all about it and this interesting thing you know uh mm. you know and it was just, and then that's kind of when it blew up and became more popular but when i watched it with her i sat there and i was watching i'm like this is like an action version of Groundhog Day. It is. And then and then we proceeded to get into an argument because she didn't think so. No, <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> it took me it took me some time to convince her that the same it was the same conceit as Groundhog Day. Like she didn't she, she didn't make that connection at first. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when I saw it it had the other title. I feel like I saw it and it was called yeah, Live, Die, Repeat. Live Die Repeat. Yeah. That was an that was an awful thing, that marketing <laughs> campaign to change it. It's an awful title too. Which Edge of Tomorrow's one? great. Edge of Tomorrow's Edge of Tomorrow's badass. Great title. Yeah. Yeah, and Live Die Repeat is stupid beyond all reason. At least it tells you in the title that that was like a, a groundhog day. But Edge of Tomorrow just sounds like what it is, like a sci fi, you know, action groundhog. It's a great movie. Yes, it is. It's not it's not as great as Groundhog. I don't think there's no. been a movie that has implemented the idea as expertly as Groundhog Day has, but like as far as for like let's make a sci-fi action version of Groundhog Day, you you're unlikely to do better than Edge of Tomorrow. No, and uh, I think uh, Happy Death Day would be my f personal favorite. But um, I like at the end of that movie, they you know, she's talking about it. And she's like, her friend's like, oh, it's just like Groundhog Day, right? She's like, uh, what's that? He's like, with Bill Murray. She's like, who's Bill Murray? Yeah, it's it's Groundhog Bill Day Murray. for millennials. <laughs> I know it's just sacrilegious, but uh, I like that they bring it into the film and they make a weird commentary on Groundhog Day within the film. So they're very aware that they exist in that genre. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what that's interesting. Our our biggest takeaway as well from watching the film this time is that Bill Murray is absolutely fantastic, <laughs> which we already knew. Yeah. But Groundhog Day is just kind of like the the epitome of this idea. He's this is like the the most Bill Murray you could get. I mean, you know, I won't, I won't say inherently it's the best, because it's got, you know, some tough competition there with, like, the Wes Andersons and Lost in Translation and Ghostbusters, but you get the full Murray spectrum in Groundhog Day. I would call it the most Bill Murray film. Because, yeah. you know, you get, you get it, it plays perfectly into his comedy, his uh, dry, bitter cynicism, waking up every day, and just his expression will make me laugh, or... You know, just mm -hmm. his interaction with someone. Though, you know, every interaction he has is, you know, inherently funny in the film. It's it's also slightly tragic, slightly romantic. It's a fantasy, but it's always based in a grounding of comedy. That's that's very funny to me. Right, and like we said, we, you got kind of every version of Bill Murray. You got the the cynical Bill Murray that's really great throughout the majority of the film. You got, you know, dreadfully depressed Bill Murray. Yeah, he's also really great at throughout. You got like the the comic kind of witty, um, you know, improvising Bill Murray throughout it as well. You got everything. This is all the Murray you could ask for. You, got the, you even got Brian Doyle Murray if you want. You got Bill Murray making a, a Groundhog Day face, which is the best yes. Bill oh, Murray. Oh, that, that Groundhog face where he puts his the teeth up like that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great face. <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I think he plays very well in it, and, and he grows so much. I like that his character, it's a, I mean, the film's nothing without its character growth. Well, that's the thing. That's the secret to Groundhog Day is that it's very well understood and that Harold Ramis, the director, you know, he understood that the the idea is just a vessel for the character arc. 
The film is entirely built around his growth as a character, and that's why it works so well, because every interaction, everything that happens, you know, uh, adds to that. It informs of that. And it's always about the character. What was it called? Russian Doll will be coming out the day we release this, which I, I feel like didn't quite understand that kind of pacing. And that's like a huge credit to Ramis that he was able to find a way to make this repetitive cycle repeatedly interesting, because that's a hard job. Yeah, well, and I think, uh, you know, that is because even though we're seeing a lot of the same events, you know, we're seeing it through different ways, different perspectives. You know, the film starts out, in the first couple loops, it's all very odd, very, you know, unexplainable and weird. And, you know, we get through that pretty quickly. It's paced well because he rushes through them. You know, he goes through those first, like, three loops just blazing through the day. Like, the second time he goes through, he's like, I'm just trying to get through this shit. I don't want to do it. And I think, I guess, to step back a second to say is that it's very well, the events are very well set up the first time through. Where, you know, where he, he wakes up, he meets the guy, you know, like, you got the, the alarm clock bit. And he meets the guy out in the hall, talks with the, you know, owner of the establishment, and then he goes out, and he meets Ned Ryerson, and he goes out and does the groundhog bit. Yeah. And it's all very well paced and set up. Each interaction is a humorous one, and you meet the characters, and you get a feel for them all the way through. So the way the second time you come around, there's a bit more variety to it and different, but you still, you, you get through it faster, so you get to each loop, you know, much quicker. That's what I appreciate that some of the other movies kind of fail to do. It's really really good at just getting you right to the next element that matters like i think uh, edge of tomorrow was great at this too it just goes right to the uh right to the point of action or the point of the story where you want to be it doesn't waste a lot of time recycling the parts that are repetitive and would be um kind of drown out the pace of the movie one of the things that they don't like continually repeat the same lines to nauseam you know Hmm. they repeat like the first line that sets up the interaction and then they have Bill Murray do a different thing so that it triggers a different response from the characters he interacts with, you know? And, I mean, you might even get, like, a second, like, oh, the first step's a doozy, but he might walk differently, or he might jump over the puddle this time. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, in that case as well, I think you kind of look forward to that because Stephen Tobolsky's delivery in that is just <laughs> so amazing. He is <laughs> He's pretty amazing. so fantastic, and that's another, I think extent of how great not only just like bill murray is acting in the movie but all the people are like even these bit characters that you see throughout are so memorable and they stand out in your mind (laughs) and i think that really brings the town of punxsutawney to life yeah it feels like a um like a rural like uh outside of pittsburgh neighborhood i really love that pittsburgh attitude because you know pittsburgh is just a kind of midwest city with a different vibe like, they have accents for no reason. It doesn't exactly make sense the way people talk and the way they interact. So I, I think the Lumberjack guys are my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. As far well, as that's sites. a very good good setup of the town as well, is that everything about Punxsutawney, as soon as you kind of come through in that first day and see, it's all very quirky and odd. You got the, the kind of fun Pennsylvania polka they were playing in the background during the, um, the you know, the... Yeah. the Groundhog Festival thing. I love that. It's a very fun, you know, kind of song, but very odd as well. Uh, you know, and everyone, the interactions there, you know, it's all it all adds to the quirkiness of this town and the oddity, which contrasts sharply with the very kind of city styling slickness that, you know, Phil has going on and why he absolutely doesn't want to be there. If you've been in, in a town that has one thing that it does, um, well, I grew up in like a Circleville, Ohio for a little bit, so... Uh, that's just a little bit south, right? Um, and all we had was a pumpkin festival every year. So, like, I see that within this town that everything's kind of set up and directed around this one event. Like, all they have is their groundhog. Even these guys mm-hmm. are drinking. They're wearing their groundhog shirts. It's it's their one day a year where they find out if the winter's goal lasts another six weeks. It's like it's not even like a momentous occasion. It's just like a continuation of what they already have been doing. Well, you have to consider as well that essentially that this. Uh you know, this big festival, this thing they do all the time, it becomes part of their identity. I think everyone in general just kind of adopts their, their hometown, in a sense, uh, as a part of their identity and who they are. They, you know, you can't help but feel your environment, you know, makes up part of you. And so when you have something that's so centrally, you know, focused around this one time, it just becomes a huge thing. You can't help but embrace it and go all in on this kind of thing. So when you see all these people run around doing crazy things for a rat coming out of a hole, you know... It's because that's what they do. That's what they're thinking. Even if you think about how 
ridiculous and kind of dumb the idea of Groundhog Day is. And that might be, uh, like, part and parcel why it's such a Bill Murray movie. It's actually shot in Illinois, just a little bit outside his hometown, so it is quite a reflection of who he is as a person, I'd say. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't actually know that as well. And um, I think that, as far as Pennsylvanian cities go, I like the little Pennsylvania hotel, like a little Wes Anderson, like, uh, pink and blue little motel that he's constantly going into, the bed and breakfast there. It's very homey, you know, it feels like you're kind of coming into a know somebody's home you know your grandma's home that's what it looks like it's got that you know feeling to it it's nice it's cozy looking and um i i just like the setting in general i feel like it's a it is fun because he is a weatherman it is life is pretty dependent on whether or not there's winter and you know he's just gonna be saying the same thing over and over whether or not the groundhog shows up so i I like your repeated usage of weather there yeah (laughs) whether or not (laughs) but anyway yeah I agree that the the setting of it, not only in the location, but the fact of putting it around this otherwise innocuous holiday, Groundhog Day, is very interesting. It's, it adds to another quirk of it, and it makes this all kind of weird thing somehow make sense. You're like, yeah, of course, of all days that would continually be put on a loop, it would be Groundhog Day in the beginning of February. <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> It is random, but it it also shows whether or not your winter will continue for longer than you want it to. Like, it's meant for, like, it's like a farmer's almanac of a holiday. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. Well, I guess there's an interesting thematic idea behind that as well, yeah. is that, you know, the, the, the idea is that Phil is stuck, you know, like, seeing his shadow as well until, you know, he can come out, you know. I don't know, there's an idea there, I guess. <laughs> But the, the idea as well of having the blizzard trap them in is an important aspect that forces him to be stuck in this contained area. Otherwise, I think if you're free to roam wherever within a 24-hour time span, you know, that's too much power and, you know, you're not forced to kind of have these confrontations that Phil has to in order to break out of the loop. I do like it. It, it gives him a setup. Like, it gives him a job that he has to do it in the morning, and it gives him, like, his producer is the love interest, so... I, I also like that it's based on a real town's events that uh, in Puxatani, the actual outlier neighborhood of Pittsburgh, that they actually do go searching. They do like a yearly search for a groundhog, um, and they do bring out uh, their own Puxatani Phil. I think they have a new one now. Well, of course. I mean, you can't have the same groundhog for I think he 25 died. years. <laughs> I think he died pretty recently, but... Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, it, it, you know, having that setting is a really great aspect of the film that I don't think can be overlooked. And I think a lot of the reason why Groundhog Day is just so much more efficient and effective in its execution than some of these other ones, you know, that you can do a lot more with, you know, that we talked about. Uh, I was reading it up, up on it earlier, and it said that in 132 years, uh, the Groundhog had only seen a shadow 18 times. So, I mean, it was like a very rare event, and this is a such a repetitive holiday. Even for the groundhog, who never gets to experience a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny as well, because, like, you see everyone, you know, they're kind of anticipating, and they're like, you know, is there going to be more winter? Oh, and then there is. They're all, like, extremely disappointed. Like, did you expect there not to be? Yeah. Like... That's, that's kind of the general <laughs> expectation. Like, it's a surprise if there's not going to be more winter. There almost always is. I remember as, like, a kid getting, like, kind of anticipating for Groundhog Day or whatever to know if there was going to be more and being yeah. let down a lot. And then eventually I just learned to not worry anymore because that's just how it's always going to be. It is a weird thing because they show up for his reaction, but they only have one outcome that they want from it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and mean, they're like, oh, we came out here to learn that it's more winter? What? It is a funny and quirky holiday anyway. Like, we have enough Christmas and Halloween movies, but nobody had make a, made a Groundhog Day movie before this. Well, that's the thing is that there is no other Groundhog Day movie because <laughs> yeah. they, they hit it out of the park on a first try. You can't make another Groundhog Day movie. This is it. I and do wish... I, it's worth that. <laughs> I do wish we had, like, some kind of sequel or some kind of follow-up to it, though. Uh, I think I think any kind of follow-up would potentially ruin what you have here because one thing that you have to consider as well is that <clears throat> Phil's life must be magnificent after this because of all the skills he learned in the upwards of... Hundreds of years he spent trapped in this one day, just learning how to do everything. He, he's a, you know, expert concert pianist. Yeah. He can, you know, do chainsaw art. I mean, come on. 
You think he's still going to be working at the weather station after this? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's What's surprising. What's going to the conflict he... be of the next movie? It's surprising he even keeps going back. That in all those days he didn't find something else that interested him more than the. Um... Well, I guess that's the that's the subplot. Is it? It is a romantic film. It's not yeah. even the subtext. It's the supertext of what the film is. Yeah, I mean, you know, assumably when they all go off into the sunset, you're, you know, him and Annie are going to have uh, a nice life together. You know, they're going to have their own family and all that. And I don't, but I guess the implications are just kind of weird. Like, you know, what is this when you've lived a hundred lives? What, what more is the rest of you going to get out of life? Yeah, and I think that's what makes it so sweet and optimistic is he keeps going back to Annie McDowell's character. And she's uh, such a sweetheart of the movie. I always thought she was like America's unheralded sweetheart. Mm. Well, I think what's interesting to establish as well is, again, the, the important character arc of the story because, you know, they set him up perfectly in the beginning as this rude asshole who's only looking to serve himself. So his affection for her is entirely surface level in the beginning he just wants to sleep with her on like you know an objective kind of level like you know uh, almost like a power play in in some sense as well like i'm going to sleep with my producer or whatever because i can right but you know and as he goes on and he tries to learn these manipulative tactics that keep not working to win her eventually he'll come around and you know like have a genuine appreciation for her though i don't know if i can pick a specific moment where it's like that's when he learned to truly care about her yeah you know and I think that's an interesting thing because there, it's not really a real life thing where you just you know suddenly fall in love, you know is it you know it's it's a gradual process as is with the movie. So all the things he learned about her to try and manipulate into falling in love end up being the things that he did genuinely care about her for. There is a thing where he learns too much and it's creepy and that it 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 almost diverts her from him. It, um... it is because it's not genuine. He doesn't learn those things about her out of a genuine care for what she's interested in, he learns it so that he can manipulate her to fall in love with him. But it yeah. doesn't work, because she sees through it, and then there's that great montage of her continually slapping him in the face. <laughs> I I think that he he has uh, nothing really to lose in the relationship, right? Uh, he'll wake up with new information every day, but she'll still wake up just where she was. Like, I mean, at least I always thought it was optimistic that the film never went into more sinister territory like it could have been about rape or murder or uh... oh oh definitely like you have to imagine like just on a theoretical level there's so much space in between you know there is at least one scenario where he just forced himself upon her right it happened and it's like it, you're you're a naive to deny that he did that at any point i'm glad the I mean, film doesn't go there but i'm sure that he must have gone on like a murder rampage at some point <laughs> yeah. and just like I mean, if he, you know, he resorted to killing himself in various ways, you know, and stealing money from the banks and whatnot, like, come on, yeah. this guy did not at some point go out of his way, go down that dark path. He had to have. I'm just glad the film doesn't detail that or go into that territory, because it would make it oh, yeah. a lot less fun for me. Oh, yeah, in general. Like, it's fun for us to explore it from the outside, but it would ruin the integrity of the film if it went there and, you know, explain that more thoroughly. And I think that's another key aspect of the film is that it doesn't explain everything that happened to kind of get here. In fact, in the end, we don't even know how he got stuck or if that was how he got out technically. Like, we just roll with it and it's up to us to interpret how and why, you know, he got in and out of this. I think that's one thing we agree on is one of our favorite things about the film is that it has the um, open-ended lack of exposition. It doesn't force exposition on you over every part of the plot yeah you know generally i think the rule of thumb is that you can ask your audience to believe one fantastical thing for a film and they'll roll with you on it and that's the idea that he gets stuck in this loop and you know the you know the rule is very well established that you know at the end of the day or if he kills himself he'll just wake up at 6 a.m again we got that and it makes sense we don't need to know how necessarily because it just weakens it i believe i actually read somewhere the original reasoning why I don't know if you know this, uh, but apparently, like, the original script said there was, like, an ex-girlfriend or something who was a witch and, like, cursed him, you know, to be stuck in the same day over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a weak, weak reason it is. to have that and awful. And, and making that real uh, just kind of ruins it. Instead, you know, it's up to your interpretation. I, you know, I almost just see it as a kind of general karmic force. They set him up as this absolutely pretentious douchebag in the beginning of the film. And he just had it coming to him in some 
cosmic sense. So that's the only reason I need to believe that he got stuck in this. Yeah, I think that's where I come across too, that it is just a, a film about karma and metaphysics especially. I think it has a lot more interest than they ever intended it to have that way. I think there's more academic reading that could be done than that was probably even in the film. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing, you know, when you leave so much open-ended and just in general the kind of ideas here. And I think that's also why Groundhog Day was able to spin off so many uh, sequels and other interpretations because, you know, the idea itself is just ripe for interpretation. You know, you can think of any, you know, idea where you're just stuck in the same day over and over. I'm, you know, I look at like kind of something like Edge of Tomorrow as well. It's like a, a video game, essentially, where you go in with the same knowledge and you keep doing the same things, even if the opponents you're up against are, you know, not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that it's pretty literary that some of its uh, influences must have come from um, a lot more novels because this didn't exist anywhere except literature before this. I don't believe there's a, any similar films from before this. Do you have any? No, I can't think of any particularly similar in that it's like the same day over and over or whatever. Um, you know, I'm sure there was some kind of book or theory like this isn't an unprecedented idea, I don't think. Something had to have come before this that informed it, and then they took it and made it into a comic spin and set it on this weird holiday. I read a book that was pretty much right before it called, like, Rewind or Repeat or something. It's it's pretty close. Um, there's There are a few classic stories that kind of go into, like, cycling time. Then you have stuff like... Um, you have more stuff where you're like viewing yourself from the dead or you have other experiences that are cyclical. I mean, it's nothing's new. There's, there's nothing new in literature. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in, you know, fiction in general, media in general, even I'll go as far as to say everything's a repetition of something else. We just have to put our own personal twist on it, you know? And, and I think that's kind of fine too. Like we could have a happy death day to you and it's okay because <laughs> It's almost meta-commentary if you keep repeating the same theme. Right, and hopefully that one will work out well. I mean, I'm looking forward to your review of it when that film comes around here in the next couple of weeks. You haven't seen the original yet? No, I haven't seen the original yet. It's not something I've uh, managed to fit into my busy schedule of <laughs> watching things. Yeah. and uh, Many things. <laughs> well, I like it. I I mean, that's a, it's much more literal to read it. Like, the main character's name's Tree. You could look at all the branches she has. It's more video gamey, like uh, uh, The Edge of Tomorrow. Um, but I like Groundhog Day because it's grounded, and it only does have the one thing that you have to buy into. The others have multiple different layers on it that you have to keep buying into. Yeah, and that's the thing, especially with something like, uh, you know, I think of Edge of Tomorrow, it's got a lot of exposition to explain how this works. You know, there's a reasoning behind it, which is good for the sci-fi element of it, but bad for the fact that it's a narrative and it needs so much exposition dumped onto it. Whereas Groundhog Day is very simple. You know, it just gets the idea and it says, you're smart enough to get this, just roll with it, and you get it, and it's good. And I like when a film can trust your intelligence and kind of sit with you and you can develop with it. Um... Mm-hmm. Well, because the thing is that there's no character in the film there to explain the scenario. And I think both in, you know... Uh, definitely in Edge of Tomorrow, I'm not exactly sure with, like, Happy Death Day, but it seems like, you know, at least with Groundhog Day, it's special because there's absolutely no one who can relate to Phil going on here. He's entirely isolated and must solve this conflict on his own, yeah. you know? And, it's a, and then the other important thing about it is that it's not an external conflict. It's an internal conflict that he has to resolve, which is why it's so strong as a film, as a narrative there is that the outside problem is only fixed once he's able to fix the problem within himself. Like I've said at the beginning here, that the conceit of it is built around his character arc. Yeah, and I think that uh, some of the others have other things where other characters are going through the cycle as well. They they kind of break themselves by going that way, because uh, that adds too much dimension to their experience. And then you're forced to sit with that secondary character the whole time as well. And they also yeah. they also wake up with consequences of the you know the resulting previous day, which I don't like. Like a, a lot of them, you'll maybe a character's drowning and they'll like start spitting up water when they wake up or something. I, I don't like that shit. Right, because it's not like a true reset. Then it, you know it makes you question more the the physics of it and you know how the rules work. Whereas in Groundhog Day, it's very very straightforward. It's just wake up at six every day, 
Same alarm, same thing. Same Sunny and Cher song every morning. Yep, which is great, by the way. Like, it doesn't matter how many times we repeat that. And I hope you're going to incorporate that somewhere in the podcast oh, yeah. here, hearing that song. <laughs> I like the idea that it is kind of an annoying song. Like, people generally like Sunny and Cher, right? But you don't want to hear that song the first thing every morning for the next 10 years. I agree. It's it's intentionally a kind of irritating kind of song, at least in the way it's presented there. And, it, and it's humorous every time. Like, some of the best scenes in the movie are when, you know, Bill Murray's just it's like a another montage of him destroying the alarm clock in yeah. various ways. Because <laughs> he's just so sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you have the alarm clock and he's throwing it to the ground. It breaks into pieces and it just keeps playing. And it's still playing. Mm-hmm. I think that was... I don't know if I remember reading that... Uh, if that was, like, an accidental thing, like, if that actually happened with it. I doubt it, though, because like, I would have just imagined they'd add the sound effect in post. I guess I read that they actually had to break it with hammers and stuff because it didn't break, and then it just kept playing anyway, so they just incorporated that into the film. I mean, hey, that's the kind of style of comedy from, you know, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray there. They were all about improv, kind of like the, you know, first big pioneers of that, you know, for comedy anyway. And I had always read that Bill Murray wasn't a big fan of the film, which always confused me because it's my favorite of his. Oh, I, you know, I have to agree. You know, I love stuff like Ghostbusters is up there for me, too, you know, as far as for just great, well-conceived comedy on a large scale. But the the intimacy of the story here and just how great the concept is in the contained environment and Murray's performance throughout, and it's great. I, I can't help but find it to be my favorite. Yeah, I, I, I'm just so attached to it. it it was such a special thing for me when I was a kid because I, I hadn't read or seen anything like this. Like there may be nothing new in literature, but when you're young, every story is new to you. So when you find something like Groundhog Day, it could be a little revelation for you. Yeah, everyone's everyone's got those kind of revolutionary, you know, revelation films that they have at a young age, and they're all kind of different depending on what you discover. But this is certainly a good one. Groundhog Day was like ground floor like me getting into like cinema and stuff and figuring out like why this stuff works like i was like oh i could just keep watching this and it's funny and it's fun to do that Mm -hmm. i think it's also it's just interesting to look at it if you take a step back and look at it from a you know a script level i think that's where the film really is perfect in you know the the writing of it here is that it's just so well conceived from a plot standpoint where everything makes sense as you move along and you know the character has the various arcs and i like how Phil goes through things. You know, his mm. first reaction when he learns that he's stuck in the loop is not to figure out how to get out of it, but to figure out how to exploit it. And right. That's very in tune with his character in the beginning <laughs> of the film. <laughs> There's that whole bit where he's just like, I am a god. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah, I guess my <laughs> I guess my first inclination would be how to get out of the loop, but his is very much, how can I manipulate people or what can I use to my advantage? Yeah, because that's when in the beginning where he starts, he, you know, uh, like the first thing I think he does, like when he's in the, the restaurant, realizes that that he's passing by. And that's when he goes and talks to Nancy, makes their information so he can try and, you know, pull the same trick that Ned was on him to yeah. sell him insurance. I guess that's, that's another interesting question as well, is that do you think Ned, he actually went to high school with Ned? <laughs> or do you think... Do you think that was an insurance salesman tactic? I think that must have been an insurance tactic. I never thought of it that way, but I like how you're presenting it. So. Well, I, I hadn't either, you know, really. Like, I always just kind of took it as that until I realized, especially on this viewing, that that is the same exact method he uses to convince Nancy that they knew each other and get that first date. <laughs> yeah, it, He does it in the exact <laughs> same way. It, so what what's there to believe that, you know, Ned was being genuine to begin with I could take it as that's an insurance tactic and that he's just a kind of scummy guy anyway. Um, Well, because, yeah, the whole idea is that Phil just kind of believes him because, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say because, you know, I I might take that back because I'm realizing when Ned first introduces himself, he says he dated, you know, Phil's sister. Right. So he told him not to. Yeah, but that could be anything. It it totally could, but that's a gamble because what if Phil doesn't have a sister? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a small town, maybe... Maybe he had known of him and his sister, and it was just, I don't know. <laughs> We're extrapolating too much. On, on this singular scene from Groundhog Day. Yeah, I like that we could draw parallels between that and his reality, because I always like the um, the guy who's dressed as logger, and they're just alcoholics. They're living out the same day over and over anyway. 
So when well, that's, that's when Bill segment. when Bill Murray approaches them and they you know they're like yeah I've I've just been doing this anyway it sounds familiar. Well, that's the thing is that he describes his predicament in very vague terms. He's just like you know you guys ever feel like you're just stuck in this you know same rut doing the same thing over and over never leaving and that's <laughs> you know even though he's talking about being literally stuck in the same day over and over they're like yeah you know that's kind of how it feels like and it is kind of like what small town life is like you're just kind of going through the motions every day doing the same thing and you don't get out or do anything yeah you see the and same then, people at the same places at the same time mm-hmm. well i think what's interesting as well to to think about is that you got to consider that phil's character at the beginning of the film is already in something of a slump mm-hmm. he's just very much in denial of it you know what i noticed this time is that it takes him all of three days of doing this over and over before he contemplates suicide in some manner, or at least risking it. Like, on yeah. that third day, he's like, I'm just gonna try driving into a train and see, you know, how, how far I can take this. It's not like he has an answer of whether that would end the cycle. <laughs> he just takes that risk. No! Well, the thing is that, but he does eventually reach that rock bottom where he's like, I'm just gonna kill myself. Mm-hmm. I can't take this anymore. And it still doesn't work. Which is great. Because then there's a great montage of various suicide methods that are both very dark and depressing, but also hilarious. Do you have anything else, sir? Uh, you know, there's. I feel like there's just still so much to talk about that we barely scratch the surface of, but I can't pick, like, a singular thing to, to focus on and talk about. Um, well, I mean, because we mentioned stuff I, like... Uh, I, really like mentioned the, I really like Andy McDowell in it. How do you feel about that, it? That's the thing. You, you were talking this whole time about how big a crush you had on her. Yeah, lifelong before. crush. <laughs> Since I saw Groundhog Day. Started there. But then I saw, like, you know, later Sex Lies videotape, and, God, she's so attractive. <laughs> she only really existed in the 90s, though. You know, that was, like, the only time she really operated. She'd done anything, like, since then, or did she just <sighs> fall off the face of the earth? No, she's done a lot of smaller things. Uh, nothing too notable, but I feel like she didn't get uh, cast up to her potential. I feel like if Annie McDowell were showing up today and per- showing this kind of performance, she'd be in basically everything. But she was, like, just at the tail end of, like, a a new age of, like, starlets coming out of the 90s and just kind of aging out of that, I think, so that might yeah, be no, why. Yeah, I, no, I think she was, you know, she's really great here. She's got this very um, well-conceived character, you know, you very much so understand her character. She's very cute in the role, like the, you know, how attractive she is. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to get why, you know, Bill Murray be totally about her there. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that I have the same, you know, un, you know, undying crush for that you do but yeah. i get it <laughs> <laughs> well uh i don't have much else to say on it if we just want to call it here all right uh, i think that's good to wrap up um you know i think you can play us out with one of the songs from it it's kind of hard to pick there's so many good ones uh you know you mentioned playing the sunny and share one but i want to hear the weatherman song too you get that okay. somewhere that was catchy as hell and 90s as hell it's just really good <laughs> i'll see what i can do if not it'll just be a troll thing Okay, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Groundhog Day again. Yeah. So, prepare for that. All right. We're doing this for about a week. Yeah, one week at Groundhog Day. All right, talk to you tomorrow. Prediction show, a steady low. You're feeling just the same. But seasons come and seasons go. I'll make you smile again.